Hello and welcome back to the Masterclass, the tactical podcast. I'm Hader Abanya. I'm your host as ever today. We are sitting here the day after Manchester United's fantastic 4-1 victory against Istanbul, Basak Shir. And I'm joined as usual by my co-host and my good friend, Rob Blanchett. Rob, I think I'm a bit more high than you on the performance yesterday. But how are you feeling? And welcome back to the show. Hey, Harder. Hey, how are you doing, mate? Um, yeah, I'm good and, yeah, happy with the result. You know, it was all about getting a good result yesterday uh, and kind of looking at um, what Manchester United could do in other matches that, that haven't quite worked out and seeing if they could counter that. I think they did that in some aspects, but I do also think we saw one or two real frail weaknesses in the starting 11 yesterday, and we'll talk about that today. Um, but the result is great. Obviously, fans were high on that. Scoring four goals is a very good thing. Uh, certainly, when Man United haven't been scoring goals from open play. But uh, yeah, good result. But I wouldn't say it was a great performance. Yeah, I think that we definitely need to delve into it because having rewatched it this morning, I've seen some really glaring issues that I think were missed last night uh, by the majority of fans. So- so we'll definitely dive into that now. But to all the listeners, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It'd be really great if you guys can give us uh, a review and a rating on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts because that helps us to push the podcast further to more great listeners like yourselves. So we're just going to jump straight into it, Rob. Let's talk about the selection and the reasons why Ollie went very attacking. Now, we look at that selection, a 4-2-3-1. I thought we might have gone to a 4-3-3. Uh, it didn't really look like that during the game. A very attacking lineup, as we mentioned. What we got to see was actually a Fred and Van der Beek double pivot, which is going to be the majority of the uh, of the episode today. We got to see a Rashford, Cavani, and Martial front three as well, which is one which I thought was quite interesting to see. But before we went into the game, there were sort of a few things that I, you know, sort of picked out before we before we played the match. So the first thing was, I was interested to see how Rashford played at right wing. I think that was really important. United had problems there with Mason Green without. I was interested to see Cavani as a number nine as well. His runs are something which I kept an eye on last night. And I think it's something which he is quite good at. And I just wanted to see how we looked with him as a focal point. The third point was Van der Beek. How is he going to be positionally disciplined? That was the biggest question. I think we got our answer last night. And then finally, I looked at the sort of Martial and Tellez combination on that left. Wouldn't Martial run the channels better than Rashford did against West Brom? Would Tellez be overlapping? These are sort of things I picked out. But just give me your thoughts firstly on what you thought of the selection. Were you surprised at how attacking Oli went? No, not at all. I think, again, there was a there was scope for United to attack this Istanbul team. Um, we saw that even in the, the game over in Turkey where... United had the opportunity to to maybe go harder at them and had plenty of opportunities but just couldn't convert. Um, I wasn't surprised at all by the selection last night in terms of the 4-2-3-1 and where everyone played. I think it was an opportunity to try that. However, I would say that two or three of those experiments is experiments really failed on their backsides. Um, yet, when you, when you win 4-1... People can say, no, there was no failure there. But I think when you looked actually in game and passages of play and and periods of Manchester United possession, there were problems. And they weren't really there in the first half. There was a there was a smell of it in terms of the issues that were to come. 
But in the second half, and this always happens generally with a, a kind of fresher selection that hasn't played together in those positions, once everyone gets tired and people's legs get heavy and the lactic acid kicks in, you then see, you then see the problems manifest uh, and you start to get hurt and you, you might concede goals. And I think certainly going into that last 15 minutes, Manchester United looked really vulnerable and it was because of the shape and the personnel. Yeah, let's dive into that shape and personnel. So let's start with the Fred and Van der Beek double pivot. What I liked about Van der Beek, I want to talk about the positives about Van der Beek, is I like how he's he looks forward with his passing. I think what helped us last night was that he progressed the ball well forward to Bruno. We looked more uh, cohesive going forward. We looked much more, I would say, threatening because we haven't looked threatening for a while. What I like about Van der Beek is he doesn't look laterally, he doesn't look backwards. You know, that's usually the final option for him. He looks forward, he looks to play the ball into feet to Bruno or to, to the front three. In possession, I thought he was good. I thought his movement was very good at times. I think the biggest issues was in defence. Clearly off the ball, there have been issues with him in terms of positioning. And what we saw last night is actually Manchester United were very, very wide open. You mentioned something to me yesterday and are you able to elaborate on a bit more about the problems with Van der Beek and why you don't think that this is a double pivot that can go forward in the Premier League? I think you could see in the first half yesterday, like you just said there, you know, I think Van der Beek's a really good player. Uh, he's very neat and tidy. He's very Dutch. You know, he'll play those five and ten yard balls with precision. One of the things that we were told when we did our research on him uh, before his move to Manchester United, and we, we kind of did some digging with Ajax about what he's good at and what he isn't good at. One of the things that, that came out was that he's not a great key passer. So he's not this kind of classical Dutch player who can get the ball, play a 20 or 30 yard ball through a channel to play someone in, maybe like he did last night, actually, for the fourth goal, which he did well with getting Mason in on the, uh, getting forward for Dan James's goal. But what you find is that when he's deep and when he's next to someone like Fred, who's all action, it then becomes about positional discipline. One of the reasons you can see why Oli has not played him in the Premier League is that he is not disciplined in that double pivot. The double pivot means that you have to be as defensively sound as you can be and set everyone else off going the correct direction. And in the first half, you could see that, you know, both of them were getting involved in the play as a double pivot. Fred was getting about the pitch. But the pass completion was poor. Fred was losing the ball countless times. And you could see that with Van der Beek, he didn't know whether to stick or twist half of the time. In the second half, when he was more tired, he was getting exposed. So Istanbul will be able to play right through the pivot, almost right through without it not even being there. You know, you might have not have had two defensive midfielders at that point. For Ole, that is a huge problem for the shape of the team. And I think that did reflect in Manchester United's overall play. Yes, United had attacks. Yes, United scored four goals. Yes, fans are going to be high on that and they're going to love that. If you play that double pivot against any team in the Premier League, they will rip you to shreds. Yeah, especially, don't forget like Liverpool or Manchester City or how they play, well, they'll expose you. The team at the bottom of the league will expose you if you cannot defend in those positions or at least close the, the channels down. And I thought that was a, a huge failure last night. I know, again, United fans want to see Van der Beek start. I do believe that he can play as a number six. I don't believe he can play as a number six next to Fred. 
there is this kind of non-stop feeling that you've got to find a place for Van der Beek. That's the most important thing. Get him in the starting eleven. Why buy him unless, unless you actually want him to start games? I don't really agree with that kind of narrative. I think it's about the squad. And I'm very, very happy that we've got a player like Van der Beek who can do several things in midfield. However, do I start him as things go? If everyone's fit as a number six? Probably not. I still think Pogba is more adept to that role. Pogba might be less say, energetic in some aspects. Pogba is a better passer of the ball. Pogba has played that role a lot more than Van der Beek has, so his knowledge is just simply going to be further on than Van der Beek's is. And Pogba is actually more disciplined. People might say he isn't, but I believe that he is in that role where he knows what Fred does, he knows what McTominay does, he knows what Matic does. And it's about that partnership in there. And that's so important with the double pivot. You've got to have players that know each other and that can look after each other. And that's important. And that wasn't there last night. Yeah, I'm just going to bring up the stats of total shots because I think that gives an indication that although United won 4-1 and they had 16 shots total and Istanbul had 13. For a, for a team that's won 4 1, you wouldn't expect it to be that close, would you, in terms of how many chances the opposition had? So it does sort of beg the question that if they were better at finishing, had more quality, would they have punished United? But what I do want to touch on is this idea that United have to fit Van der Beek in the side. Now, I'm of the view, and I tweeted last night, I said, look, whatever Oli is going to do going forward, I think he's got to find a place for Van der Beek in that side. That's my view. So I, I differ for you. I think we've got to find a place. The problem with this United side is that you have two extremes. If we go to attacking, we can't defend. We look unstable at the back. If we go, if we look to tighten up at the back, if we look to play two uh, defensive midfielders, let's say we play Fred and McTominay, two less progressive um, uh, passes of the ball, we again our attack looks like it's blunt or one-dimensional. United need to find a way to do this. There is a question, Rob, that or there maybe is the argument that if United play, let's say, a Van der Beek with a Matic sorry, or a McTominay, then, yes, United might concede more chances, but they will look more threatening going forward. And United have a lot of firepower. Last night, they had a lot of firepower in that front four. Martial, Cavani, Rashford and Bruno, that, that will frighten a lot of teams. Is that maybe a short-sighted way of looking at it, or is that just a fan's way of looking at it? I think it's a fan's way of looking at it. You know, you've got to decide with with football. Is it more of a, a game of roulette and poker and gambling and throwing that dice, or is it more of a chess game? Now, I certainly subscribe to the latter. I think it's a chess game. You know, when you look at positions and how people play in them, the first thing you have to do is to not concede goals. Clean sheets are how you win titles. Doesn't matter how good you are, you can be Man City flying forward. If you fly forward and you haven't got defence behind you, you're going to lose games. And as we've said on this podcast before, Manchester City lost nine games last year because defensively they were not sound. On the opposite side, Liverpool had a great defence and could hardly be beaten. So Man United want to be somewhere in the middle there in terms of how they approach games. Now, football fans, especially Manchester United fans, are high on attacking football, and I get that. And that's what we do want to see. You know, we want to see our boys do that and be progressive on the front foot. However, if you do not build from a stable base, and you can kind of come up with seven different <laughs> ideas about why that is defensively, whether it be the centre-backs or the full-backs or, or maybe even the formation or whether you play three at the back, four at the back, five at the back. You can, you've, everyone's got an, an idea and a plan about it and an opinion. 
But I think when you look at when you put your team out week to week, you have to negate the threat. So it's it's great to say, yeah, you know, we can get forward and we can be on the front foot. But what we saw last night were Manchester United players playing in positions that they generally play and on the front foot, doing things that they generally do. But United conceded a lot more chances. So like you just said there, the stats in terms of what um, Istanbul had, you say 13 shots on goal? And if you compare yeah, that to the right. West Brom game, it's completely night and day. United can, uh, created a similar amount of opportunities in the West Brom game, but didn't finish them. Yesterday, they finished them and scored four times. So that's a positive, but that doesn't come because of the double pivot. That doesn't come because the back four is any more solid or less. You know, it, last night, if that long shot goes in the top corner that hit the crossbar with, I think, 15 minutes to play, it's game yeah. on. And Istanbul are in the game. West Brom were never really in the game. And in fact, United got a clean sheet. So the stats at the end of it, 90 minutes, tell you something different to maybe how fans feel during the match. They may feel, you know, that they're not being entertained or the Manchester United have not been progressive enough. So therefore, they're unhappy. But as I said to you after the game last night, I actually think the West Brom game was a much more solid performance from Manchester United, even though it didn't have the attacking flair or the goals. But they did win, and that's what's most important. They won the game 1-0. Yes, it was a penalty, and it was retaken. But last night, it was fragmented. And against a better opponent, you do not get away with it. So like you said there, you know, you might have Van der Baker's number six, but you might concede a few extra chances, but, 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 but. That's not how Ole thinks. Ole's thinking, I can't concede those chances because better teams punish me. And even last night, you know, we saw in the first game, Denver Barr gets a 70-yard run at goal because everyone decides they're going to attack. Is that the Manchester United that we really want to see? That's not what I want to see. I want to see attacking football. I want to see quality in the final third. But I do not want to see us give up defensive territory simply to be an attacking team. You have to have balance. That balance wasn't there last night. United were not punished. And, you know, the history book will show that they won 4-1. And that's all that really matters. But it was not a performance to build upon. And it certainly isn't the team selection that I think we'll see in the Premier League. Yeah, you, you make some great points. Moving forward, let's say that United do want to play a, a Fred Bruno and a, let's say, a Van der Beek midfield. Would going to a back three be something? Because I've been thinking about this a lot. Because I, I did like the way we were playing forward. I like the fact that, you know, Van der Beek plays good one to two touch football. He finds Bruno well. He has got the vision. I would agree with you. I think Pogba's got a better passing range. And maybe that would be an option when Pogba's back fit. I know fans don't want to hear that because Paul Pogba is enemy number one once again. But put, let's say we had a back three behind us. Would be able to then push the uh they'd be covered behind, be able to push Fred and McTommy a bit sorry, Fred and Van der Beek a bit further forward. Would that be an option then when you've got a bit of cover behind you? If you play three, four, three or something along those lines, what that does is it gives your your fullbacks license to get forward. Now that would help Tellez a lot. Now I think we found that last night that Tellez struggled, especially in the second half, to get forward more, uh, simply because of the shape and the personnel. And that would allow Wamasaka to get forward. However, we know that Wamasaka is not particularly productive on the front foot. And would that benefit Manchester United? So I don't think Ole looks at that system and, and feels really attracted to it. You could play a diamond like we saw earlier on in the season. And that works sometimes. And against other teams who can work that diamond out, 
they they can rip you to shreds and score lots of goals as Tottenham did. So I do, I always think it's a kind of balancing point. What I will say about this about the double pivot and Paul Pogba, and I think this is really salient and important, is that the double pivot is not a starring role. It's not where you see someone shine and you think, wow, they played that double pivot so well. The double pivot is the most boring role on the football pitch. It's about discipline. It's about five-yard passes. It's about interceptions. It's about reading the game. It's about setting other players off to go and do the good work. If you're Donny van der Beek, somewhere sitting in front of a back four, your most important job is to pair up with Fred. So when Fred goes and goes in hard, and I think Fred had to learn that. He wasn't that player when he came to United. Took him a year to learn that he had to be busier, he had to be more aggressive, and now he's that kind of player. We're expecting Van der Beek to come in and do something similar. Doesn't work like that. Number sixes on the continent do not do that. In the Premier League, you have to be busier and you have to look after the centre-backs behind you. Is Donny van der Beek the best player at the club to do that in this system? Last night, we saw exactly why Donny van der Beek has not been starting games. His best position, there's no doubt, is in the forward areas. So last night, we didn't see van der Beek on the edge of the box, did we? We didn't see van der Beek really getting into areas where he can score goals. The player that I always compare van der Beek to, pre-Manchester United, is Frank Lampard. Would you play Frank Lampard in a double pivot? No, you wouldn't. But one of the issues no with Paul way. Pogba is that when you're playing in the double pivot, if you make one mistake in a game, that's the thing everyone remembers. Yeah, that he dilly-dallied on the ball too long and that's what he is and he's lazy and whatnot. When you look at Paul, Paul Pogba's stats in the double pivot, he's generally always the best player with pass completion in terms of interceptions, tackles, and people kind of go, well, he doesn't tackle. And then you look at the, the actual real rate and you think, oh, hang on, he made as many tackles as Fred today or, or as McTominay or, or Matic. That's not the issue. The issue is that Paul Pogba, when he plays as number six, cannot be the superstar. And that is an issue, I think, for Man United fans, is that they expect him playing as a, a deep-lying midfielder to be the guy that, that gets assists. And you don't get assists from that position, not really. So it's more about discipline. It's more about shape. And it's more about personnel. And if I had to choose one player to play that role there with, say, Fred or a McTominay, or Matic, or whoever you want to play going forward there, and I had the choice between Van der Beek and Pogba, I'm choosing Pogba. Pogba won a World, a World Cup playing in that position. Yeah, You just have to get the shape and the personnel correct and make sure that you're protected. And yeah, there are issues that you've got two slow centre-backs behind you. That's always a problem if you've got the double pivot. You've got to know how deep you stay. Do you stay closer? Do you close that space? Do you move forward? In the second half for about 20 minutes, I really liked the compact shape United had. So you had the back four almost on the halfway line. That allowed the double pivot to go 10 yards forward. That then allowed the front uh, positions to really push high up and have a really good press. So I thought the press worked really well last night at times. Um, but then I think towards the last 15 minutes, the press just collapsed. And the double pivot collapsed and Man United could have got heavily punished. Thankfully, they didn't. It was a really good result. But I think it does show that Van der Beek would possibly be a liability in the Premier League in a double pivot. Yes, yeah, it's, it's something that fans don't want to hear. I mean, another thing as well is that, you know, Van der Beek was losing the second balls last night. He's not physical. That's to be expected. You know, we saw They both yeah, were. Fred, they were both losing yeah. second balls, like hand over fist. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a problem. It wasn't just Van der Beek, and that's why when people say, can they play in the Premier League together? 
it, it, our defence would get exposed. And then the people go and they say the defence isn't good enough. Well, actually, it starts as well with the double pivot. That's something I say to a lot of people is that Paul Pogba's best football for me was played when straight after the restart, he played in that 4-2-3 run next to Matic. He was so disciplined. He was he was absolutely fantastic. People talk about when Oli came in and he played further forward and he was just scoring and assisting week in, week out. But for me, I, I actually preferred Pogba further back. He's got a great passing range. I think fans are forgetting that Van der Beek's a fantastic player. It will take time. you got to bulk up when you come to the Premier League. It's much more physical. It's much more intense. It's going to take time for him to settle. But for me, United play their best football. I'll still say this. This is going to be a bit controversial when Paul Pogba's in the side. Bruno obviously will get all the plaudits, but Paul Pogba for me is what makes United tick when he's on form. Yes, he can get caught on the ball. Going forward with this midfield, let's say midfield three, Rob, then you're saying that Van der Beek and Fred won't work in the Premier League. I probably agree with that, which is a shame because I think, you know, it's a midfield that fans would like to see. How would you be going forward then? Would you be looking to bring in a Matic or would you still be going back to the Fred and McTominay pivot, which in itself will cause United problems, I think, creativity-wise. You know that if those two are going to play, we'll be much more solid, but I think going forward will be a bit more pragmatic. And I think for fans, including myself, that's something that frustrates us. Yeah, and I think when Man United played a 4-2-3-1 in a way that Ole plays it, and I've said this to you before, it really is almost like a back six and a front four. Yeah, it's kind of the transition is back to front. There's not a lot of playmaking in the middle. So if you play 4-2-3-1, you rely on your number 10 to check in and out. Now, I think Bruno Fernandes did that really well last night. He supported Cavani in front of him. He was in the box, obviously, grabbed his goal that way. Uh, it was great to see a second man run. We never see Man United players make second man runs. You know, you see it all over Europe, but you don't see it at Manchester United. And we scored a goal from it. Um, but I think when you look at it tomorrow, if you were going to play against a big team or a team that was more disciplined or had more attacking threats, and we're going to play PSG soon, who do you play there? Well, you 100% you play Fred and you play McTominay. So let's just take the PSG game as an example. If you want someone to stick to Neymar like glue in that left channel, it's McTominay, isn't it? Because he's going to run him all day long. He's physically strong. He's not as talented as Neymar. He's not the greatest defender in the world. You know, I wouldn't say he's a, a kind of out-and-out -out defensive midfielder. But in that role, and, and like I said earlier on, Football is more of a chess match than it is rolling a dice. Rolling a dice, you lose quite often because it's just a gamble. Football is about chess pieces. You know, when do I give up my queen? When do I give up one of my major pieces? And is the risk and reward worth it? I think last night the risk and reward was worth it. So even if Istanbul had scored goals, United probably would have said, right, let's get on with it and score more goals than them. And we did. 4-1 was the, was the right result. You can't really get away with that, I would say, with say, the top 10 teams in the Premier League, and you certainly can't get away with it with a team like PSG in the Champions League. You've got to be defensive first. And then that front four have got to go and do the work, Haydar. So, you know, I think in the weeks gone by where we've said United haven't been creative enough, that's not on the double pivot. It's not up to them. You know, it's not, it's not up to whoever you've got McTominay sat there or Fred or Pogba, whoever. And that's the whole point of it. If you've got Pogba sat there, his job then is to keep that mesh and that discipline in that area and to look after the ball and to be neat and tidy. And in general, he is. You know, I know, again, it's a narrative fans don't want to hear. If you look at the stats after games, the stats 100% support that Paul Pogba doesn't really give the ball away in that area. And he is neat and tidy. And he has got a passing range that none of the other players who play the double pivot can do. So what do you do? You play him because he's a better player. 
doesn't matter whether you like him or not, whether you like his haircut or whether you think he's on Instagram too much or any of that rubbish. If you look at it technically and tactically, he's the play you play there. However, against PSG, I wouldn't probably play him there because it's someone who's going to have to go and chase back into the into the box. Those players like Neymar, those players like Mbappe, looking after Di Maria's, looking for the second-man run. And the pivot then becomes a much more defensive mindset for those players. But for United, that's why I think Ole has a, has a, a problem with that because then you've got to say, right, those front four have got to go and work and do what they do. And I think if everyone was fit and everyone was firing... For me, I would just do what United did last season. And that front three of me would be Rashford left, Martial down the middle, Greenwood on the right, Bruno as the 10. And I think those four will score you more goals than most other front fours in the Premier League. Yeah, and then you've got six players behind that can go and do that work, go and graft, lay the ball off to them. But yes, there is a problem from getting from A to Z, from defence to attack. But I, I'm... I'm buoyed by what I've seen by from Lindelof and from Maguire, both stepping out of the pocket. Because if you step out of the pocket with the ball, it suddenly becomes a different game. It becomes a midfield game then, not a defensive game. Once you're in there, Bruno can check out. The two wider players can both check out a little bit and you can join the dots a little bit more. Manchester United have not been great at doing that. You know, we've been this kind of counter-attacking side in maybe the last 12 months previous before. But there is promise there. I think if you get that right and you build from a base, then you can go and attack with a bit more freedom. Where I'll disagree, Rob, um, is that when you say double pivot, obviously it's about being disciplined. I agree with that point. Where, where I disagree with, and you did touch on that actually, that United have had dif uh, difficulties transitioning you know, from defence to attack. I do think that United's biggest problem has been when they play the 4-2-3-1 with Fred McTominay is the fact that neither are good enough at progressing it. And Bruno's coming too deep. Now, if Pogba does play, I don't think Bruno comes as deep. Or if Van der Beek does play, we saw Van der Beek, as you said. And I want to I want to touch on Bruno right now because 34 goal contributions in 36 games since he's joined Manchester United, which is, which is actually staggering. It's mind-blowing the impact he's had at the club. He looked much more effective yesterday because he was getting in the box. It's something Bruno doesn't do enough. I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of people about this. Against Everton, Bruno got into the box three times. Twice he scored, and one was the assist for Cavani. We need Bruno to get into the box more as the number 10. And we saw that for the second goal. He was chasing, obviously, hoping for a mistake. The keeper fluffed it, and he got the goal. But that the reason why Bruno was playing more, I suppose forward than dropping deep is because Van der Beek was playing because he was finding those passes. Bruno wasn't having to come back and get the ball from deep and trying to make something happen. So it is in United's best interest and it is in getting the most out of Bruno in the front three that United do play someone with more ball playing ability in that double pivot. Uh, yeah, I, I understand the logic of that. But like we just said here at the start of the podcast, the double pivot's role is first and foremost to protect and to sit deep and to block those channels and to stop the opponents being able to just play through you. So last night for the last 15 minutes, Istanbul, who are not a very good team, probably wouldn't even get in the top end of the championship, I would say, in many, in many aspects. Decent players, 
but they should not be playing through you like that. Manchester United, you could see that double pivot wasn't working. It wasn't working in the first half. So you just say, nay, you know, Bruno wasn't coming deep because Van der Beek was in the team. I don't, I disagree with that 100%. It's up to Bruno to go and do his job. If he starts the night as the number 10, his role is to go and support the number nine when that ball is either in wide areas or being fed through. He has to be in the box. One of the things that he said at the end of last season, which I thought was really key, was he'd said that he'd had conversations with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Ole had said to him, you know, I, I love your pressing, I love your energy, I love everything you bring, but I need you in the final third more, yeah? And he kind of refuted that and went, you know, it's just my game. My game is to kind of run and be hard and kind of do all of that. Now, you don't have to stop doing all those things, but Ole's absolutely right. His role is to go and get in the box, and that's not because of the double pivot behind him. You know, that's not because the double pivot is 10 yards closer to him or 15 yards further back. You're right. A footballer should be able to pass from A to B. And I think Fred and McTominay can make A to B passes. They're just not going to play the, you know, the killer ball from that area. And they shouldn't be expected to. Now, I don't think that Bruno's performance last night had anything to do with Van der Beek. Van der Beek had a good performance in what he did on the front foot. But I thought defensively, he didn't have a great performance. So like we're saying here with this masterclass about tactically and why Ole makes decisions games to game, if I'm the coach looking at that tactically, that worries me. I come out of that game thinking we got away with that. you know. So it's great having a player in there who's as cultured as Van der Beek, but there's also a reason why you don't play him against maybe 75% of your opponents because you know you're going to get exposed. And it was interesting also how fans last night, you know, highlighted that they thought Fred had a bad game, but Van der Beek had a great game. That makes no sense. They play exactly the same position. They made exactly the same mistakes. They gave the ball away exactly the amount, same amount of time. And they exposed their defence in the same fashion because they weren't looking after each other. They weren't a partnership yesterday. You had Fred running around like he does going and meeting players, and that's what he tends to do now. That's his MO. And you had Van der Beek kind of not knowing, as I said, whether to stick or twist. You know, am I defending here or am I supposed to break and get forward? Well, like I said, it's a boring position. It's about sticking. And like I said, if you've got back six, be solid there and then go and let the front four create. You know, we've got pace. We can counter. We can play one or two or three passes in and around the box and get in. And that's another thing we need to talk about is obviously Cavani, who, again, a lot of people gave plaudits for last night because he ran like a dog all day long, and that's what he does. And when he came to the club, I highlighted that and said, United will benefit from having this Tevez-like player who will go and uh, have a combative style as a number nine. But I think also, you know, do you start with him every week in that formation? Again, for me, no. Much more effective coming off the bench. I liked it more yesterday when he went to the left and swapped Martial, Martial went narrow, and I thought that worked quite well in terms of the defenders having to do something a little bit different. But the shape of the team for me didn't work yesterday. You know, you could say 4-1. I'm not I'm not being a miserableist here and saying I wasn't happy because Man United didn't do X, Y, and Z. We won 4-1, so hooray. But tactically, I don't think a lot of those things that we look out for, the real finite bits of information, they really weren't there yesterday in that performance. It didn't translate. Yeah, some great points. Before we go on to Cavani in the front three, because I think that's an interesting conversation, Rob, you, you mentioned Fred and did Fred play badly. So I'm going to bring up a listener question because it's a good time to do that now, since we're on the topic. And it's by uh, at N95 uh, Shashank. Thank you for your comments and thank you for your support as always. So he said here, 
did Fred have a bad game yesterday or was he trying the line splitting passes and failing? My view of Fred is that Fred's limitations were shown last night and that was one, his positional awareness, which is why I always say that Matic went on form and obviously Matic isn't on form. It's a massive problem for Oli and Manchester United at the moment that Matic isn't showing any sort of form that we saw at the end of last season. But that's why you don't see Fred and McTominay playing often alone in that position with, let's say, Evander Baker or Pogba, because I think both positionally aren't the best. And in terms of passing, I just don't think Fred has the ability to play those uh, threading balls through the lines. We saw it against Everton, but Everton played into United's hands. But for me last night, I thought Fred was worse, not so much in the passing, because him and Van der Beek both had an 87% pass completion, which isn't amazing, but it's not terrible as well. I think more to do with the fact that Fred positionally was completely out of, um, you know, undisciplined. And when I, when I looked over, there was times when Van der Beek would go forward and Fred was going forward at the same time. And I was thinking, if United get counted on, this was in the first half, United are in trouble here with the defence and the, the lack of pace there. So that's kind of my reading into it. I don't think Fred was terrible yesterday in terms of on the ball. I thought positionally and his discipline was off along with Van der Beek. I think he's playing with someone that he hasn't played with before. So you could see that there was a lack of chemistry. And then, as I said, these players have got to decide whether they stick or twist. You know, that's really, really important. I think with Fred yesterday, you know, the most important thing is that he carries on being as dynamic as he can be as a pivot in that area, you know, which means addressing the ball, going into channels and stopping players, being aggressive. And that was that's his role. Now, one of the things that you just said there about, you know, can they play that pass? Again, the double pivot isn't the job isn't to play that pass. The job is not to get the ball in the edge of the area and play a 40-yard ball of like magical qualities where you think Harry Potter played it. Yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't happen in the pivot. That's not what happens. Even in clubs that play over attacking styles over the years, you know, it, when you had Busquets playing as a defensive midfielder at the top of his game at Barcelona, his job was not to get the ball and play a 50 or 60-yard ball in through a channel and get Messi away. That's not how it works. That's not the tactic. The tactic is to be clean and tidy and then to have a pass completion weight in the 90s because all you're doing is really playing five or 10-yard balls. You know, you look up and you see you've got four players in and you either play it behind or you play it to feet. And what we're saying here is that we don't want Man United just to be a counter-attacking team because if you're a counter-attacking team, you can go long, go over the top and three players can just run in unison. That's not really what we want to see. It's up to Fred and McTominay and whoever's in there to win back possession. That's the first job. And the second job is to get United going in the right direction. And that's to play a 10-yard or 15-yard ball to feet. Now, if you're a footballer at Manchester United and you cannot play a 15-yard ball to feet, get out the football club. You're not good enough. So there is an issue in terms of retention and maybe transition from the pivot and from defence. And that's why I said I'm pleased to see Maguire and Lindelof step out the ball because that, that eases that. It means that you're going into the area where you need to go and play your football. Um, Fred's good enough. Fred's an, in, an international, you know. Fred Fred showed before he came to Manchester United that he can pass the ball. You know, it, it doesn't mean he's as good at passing the ball as Paul Pogba, you know, and, but he doesn't need to be in the same way that McTominay doesn't need to be. And like I said there, you know, I think... Van der Beek, one of the traditional weaknesses that he has, and it was there at Ajax, is that he isn't a player who can play a raking 20-yard, 30-yard defence split and ball because that's not his game. 
He is more like Frank Lampard. He's about second man runs and getting into the box and scoring goals and creating that way and having assists. You can't do that as a number six or in a double pivot because your job is to sit a little bit more and be disciplined. I think that's a huge issue. I think Fred last night played okay. He didn't have a, an awful game, but he gave the ball away a lot because I think he was trying to probably do more to look after Van der Beek and say, right, now I'm taking the responsibility here because I'm the player that plays most weeks. And he gave the ball away with, I saw just from kind of making a mental note here, with side, sideway passes inside. They weren't balls going forward and then losing it. They were ones where he was going across the pitch, either to Tellez or to Wambasaka. And United were losing balls in that aspect. And that's not good because that shows that there's a lack of shape. Um, it wasn't that he was trying to play these, you know, cultured balls going forward into Martial or into Rashford or trying to get them going. Uh, it was the, the simple stuff inside. Uh, that's worrying. But I think that also shows where Manchester United's historical issues have been in midfield. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think... Um... I just think both, yeah, it didn't really work. I think going forwards, Van Beek looked look nicer. And I liked some of the stuff he did going forward, but I think we know the issues positionally. Let's move on, Rob, on to Cavani, because I think there's a lot of debate going on about Cavani and Martial. Now, what we saw yesterday is we saw a front three, I think, which a lot of fans are very happy to see. I was happy to see when I saw the lineup. Martial on the left, Cavani playing through the middle, and we had Marcus Rashford on the right. Now, the question being asked was, did Cavani show that he's a better fit than Martial at number nine? Now, I quite liked the front three yesterday in the sense of I thought that Rashford looked more direct on the right wing. I thought that Martial, he's an excellent dribbler. I think we know what he's going to do. He's going to try and come off the left. We want him to be more creative. But I think one of the most telling st statistics that we spoke about off air was that Martial got dispossessed four times, had zero shots. I didn't realise he didn't have a shot at all. Rashford got dispossessed two times, three shots. Cavani, once he got dispossessed and he had three shots. Now, I know it's early days, but what I liked, me personally, what I liked about Cavani was I liked the fact he was dropping deep in the build-up and he was laying off and then making... His first thought is just go straight, run to the into the box, go centrally. And I think that his movement was pretty good yesterday. I thought he made quite a lot of runs into the box. You look at the second goal as well. I thought he was instrumental in forcing that mistake. Again, that was a Tellez cross, something we... Don't see enough from the fullback. I think what Cavani was good at yesterday was his ball retention. As we know, 23 passes out of 24 completed. That's about 95%. He held the ball up well. He brought others into the game. I felt like he was more of a focal point. He looks comfortable back to goal, you know, laying off to teammates. His work rate, as you said earlier, I mean, he, he runs like a dog. He's he's very much in the Carlos Tevez mold, I would say as well. I don't remember him having many chances. I mean, that was the first thing. So I think People saying he was incredible. I don't think he was incredible. I thought he was, I was impressed. I thought he was good. But I think the issue is that when we ask Cavani or Martial, you just have to go to Paul Scholes' comments about Martial not being able to play back to goal. And I want you to go into that and drill into that because I know that you feel that Martial is perhaps more suited to the number nine role than he is out on the left. Yeah, I think it's also about the philosophy of the club and also how Ole wants to play. And I think you've got to take these things into, into consideration. Um, if you don't like Martial as the number nine, everyone's going to be high on that Cavani performance last night. Cavani runs non-stop. He plays that centre channel between the two centre-backs and he runs and he runs and he runs. And you even saw defensively at times yesterday when the ball was going in the wrong direction, he was running back 
to kind of support players defensively. That's all fine, well and good. If you've got that physical stamina and you can do that, great. How many chances did Cavani have yesterday? How many times did Cavani really look threatening yesterday? How many times did Cavani bring in the wide players into the game through intricate play? I think when you look at it and you look at the modern game, we don't really play with old school number nines anymore. Now, I like Cavani as an addition to the squad because he can do two or three different things in the attack. That gives you those chess pieces like I talked about earlier. It's a game of chess. But do I start like that every week? Well, I think if you want three players who have got pace and maybe knit together a bit more and maybe play you know, an intricate game where you can pick apart a defence, Cavani doesn't start for me. You know, Cavani isn't that player. But like I said, if you don't like Marshall as number nine in general, people who feel that are going to look at Cavani's performance last night and feel good about it because of the energy that he puts into his displays. What I would say is this, is that Martial last year, uh, you know, before the season started, I wrote a few pieces saying about the question being of, is he a number nine? Can he play that role? And the two or three things that I really questioned was not just the goals and the assists, but can he play with his back to goal? And can he press? Can he successfully get into a press as the point at the, at the top of the attack? And that wasn't really evident until Bruno Fernandes came to the club. And Bruno Fernandes started chasing everything and getting into people's heads and saying, press, press, press. And from that point in January, I think that Martial did a good job of the press. And he ended the season with something like 23 and 6. So if you end the season with 23 and 6 as number nine, you've done your job. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether people think that you needed 100 shots to get those 23 goals or whether you took 23 shots. You did your job. Statistically, you did your job. You got it over the line. Now, people kind of look at the start of the season and saying, well, Martial hasn't played well, so what do you do? Let's change it around. Let's flip it. Let's see what we can do. I don't think Cavani is a long-term answer to anything. So I would feel I would feel weird about him becoming the starting number nine because it means in a year or two, you're having to change it all over again. And in that time, you've upset Martial because you've told him he's a number nine. He's played there for 18 months, two years, and now you're putting him back on the left. Putting him on the left means that you have a problem with the shape. Martial doesn't do what Rashford does on the left. Sometimes he does it better than Rashford and other times he does it worse. And I think we saw that yesterday. And it's about balance. Then you have to say to yourself, well, where does Mason Greenwood fit into all of this? For me, Mason Greenwood is the best finisher at the club. And he is the guy that has to start somewhere in that front three. So I would rather have him as the nine or coming from the right-hand side. But if Cavani's starting as a centre-forward, you probably don't play Greenwood at all because Rashford starts and probably Martial starts. So lots of questions in terms of ifs, buts and maybes. But I still think, and this is my kind of professional opinion on it, when you look at the stats, Martial is a better number nine now than he is from the left-hand side. He played the left yesterday and he had no shots on goal. And some, a lot of people say, well, he played as a number nine and had no shots on goal. But I would say it was more about creativity from the players around him, more about the, than his personal performance in the box. Definitely agree on the creativity point. I do think that if Martial was banging in goals, I don't think we'd be having this, this discussion. It's just the way that it is, and you've got someone like Cavani sitting on the bench, and it's it's people do forget what happened last season with Martial. But also, personally, Rob, I don't think Martial's a left winger, or a, I actually think he would probably it probably work best playing. Let's say if he played a, a three-five-two or something like that, playing with someone like him and Rashford did 
against PSG. I thought they both looked more comfortable doing that. What I like about Martial is he does he does run the channels better than what Rashford does. I think his trickery, he looks for me, he looks more comfortable coming off the left. Is Cavani a long-term option? Probably not. But when you look at Mason Greenwood as well, I don't think he's a right winger. What we saw yesterday, I think if you remember when Greenwood came on, and I think he looked quite lively. I think still obviously he hasn't played much game time, so he's uh it's gonna take him time to get into the into the Greenwood thing. But Mason's Mason is a centre forward, we all know that. His first instinct is just to go for goal, playing off the right. And you saw Cavani actually, you know, sort of um, have a go at him yesterday because Mason went straight for goal. Now, is there an option then that if you want, if Mason wants to play centre forward, you're going to have an issue because that right wing is still a problem for Man United. Even if, even if you're going to go and play, let's say you play Mason there, but I still think it's a problem because I don't think he's natural there. His first instinct is to go for goal. And that doesn't work if you're playing Cavani at number nine because he wants he wants service. And I think he got frustrated yesterday because he didn't have enough service. Right. Let's let's I know it's only a technicality, and I have said this before in previous masterclasses, but let's think about what the word winger means. Manchester United and most teams now do not play with wingers at all. They are wingless systems where your fullbacks have to go and be the wingers. So when you play someone in that position, if you're playing it in a 4-2-3-1 or you're playing a 4-3-3, or you're even playing something a little bit more progressive like a 3-4-3, a ultimately, these are wide forwards coming into the box. They're not going on the outside of the box on the touchline and swinging the ball in like, you know, Andre Konchelskis in years gone by, or even Ryan Giggs was expected on the left wing to hold the shape. United don't play that anymore. So we must take out the mindset of what is a winger and dump it in the bin straight away. The most important thing is those front three, whoever they may, may be, are all as potent as each other. And the idea is that they all create for each other. They play as a unit. And the person on the right-hand side does not have to be an overt creator. You know, they just have to make sure that they are working in that channel, pushing those defenders backwards. And then when they're in the box, they take opportunities. Now, you tell me something different, Haydar, but who do you want coming on his left foot in that right channel? At this whole football club, yeah, of course, Mason, Green Mason Greenwood. That's why Mason Greenwood starts games now. He hasn't started games because of the bereavement that he's had recently, he's needed time out, yeah, and that's really important for mental health. And I totally advocate how Wale's managed that situation. But he's yeah. going to come back into the team, and he is as good on that right hand side as anyone else. And the thing is that if you'd brought Jaden Sancho to do that job as well, Jaden Sancho's not a winger, Jaden Sancho doesn't go on the outside, Jaden Sancho might get lots of assists but he gets them because he's clever in that pocket and he'll feed in the number nine. And if you've got Haaland in front of him, like you do at um, at BVB, it's dead easy, isn't it, to feed him and let him take a touch and score and you get an assist. For me, it's not that's not the problem at Manchester United, you know, on that right-hand side. And we can look at it in terms of creativity. You know, do you put matter in there? Or, you know, like we saw Rashford last night, Rashford can certainly play that role. There's no doubt about it in my mind because it's about pace and it's about getting opportunities. But you saw even with Mason, when he came in there and played that role last night, he got an assist last night. Why? Because the person on the opposite side, Dan James, bust a gut to get in the box. It's about that yeah. front three together, yeah, playing as a unit. It's not about who's the number nine. It's not about who's the striker, who's the centre forward, who's the focal point. It's about everyone doing their jobs correctly and scoring goals and being threats. For me, Mason Greenwood is the best finisher at the football club. I do not see the right side of that attack 
being a problem position as it stands. It's probably for me about sixth or seventh down the line. And I said, this is why I think Manchester United didn't break the bank to sign Jadon Sancho. Because when you've got a guy there who's still only, you know, a teenager and he's scoring 20 goals in a season, it's not really a problem position. The problem is creation. And that comes from your midfield and making sure those wide players are more creative. Martial on that left-hand side is not really that creative, is he? He'll dribble, he'll get past someone, but he's looking for his shot. And I understand that. It's the same with Mason on that side. But that's hard then for the number nine. And I think we saw that isolation yesterday. I think we're much better off. And the stats say this. It's proof. There's, it's a fact. We're better off when Rashford, Martial and Greenwood players are free. United are more threatening. They score more goals. And United win more games. No, that is true. We we saw our best football with that, didn't we, after the restart? That front three was, was phenomenal. And we would like to see that again. Mo moving on to... The weekend, I suppose, against Southampton. Do you expect Oli to revert back to Martial as the number nine? And then the following week as well, would you expect... I'd expect us to go through at the back. But I believe, is Axel banned for the game? Did he pick up a yellow card and now he's not playing against PSG, I believe? Banned for the PSG game. He's yeah, out. Which is a big problem because United, I thought, probably... Tactically, it's a massive problem. Massive yeah. problem. As soon as that went last night, I, I kind of held my head in my hands because... Um, the idea would have been to kind of replicate what we did in Paris, I'm sure, with the team sheet. And that means they can't do that now. And having that extra physicality and pace in a back three is essential when you're playing Maguire and Lindelof. No, so I, I believe Baye is back, but I don't think Baye is as good a footballer as two in Zabie, you know, so, to either on the deck or even with coverage. Um, so that is a problem. I think going forward for the Southampton game, First and foremost, if you're playing a team like Southampton, they are probably the hardest working team in the Premier League. So you have to go and match that work rate. So that means that there's no doubt that Scott McTominay plays. So I think it's McTominay plus one. So I think it might be Matic because he was the guy sat on the bench and he's the guy who should have the extra miles in his legs, even though his form isn't great. But it wouldn't be a great leap to say that even Pogba comes back into the team and plays that role there. Or you play Fred again. You know, that's that's not, I think, Ole's biggest decision in the pivot. I think he's, he knows who his best hardworking players are in that scenario. And then you have to decide where you play players again. So you could go again with Cavani. You know, that wouldn't surprise me. He's, he is fit. You know, he, he doesn't need that much rest. But he's also played his first start, his first 90 minutes. He might need a game on the bench. And you might see that we go back to having Martial as the striker. Rashford seems to play whenever. You know, even when he's injured, he just plays, whether he's on the left or the right or the centre or whatever formation. Ole always goes to Marcus. Um, and I think you might see Mason start on the right. You know, he had a little cameo yesterday. I think he did really well. Uh, and he needs games. He needs minutes. So you might see United revert to that 6-4, like I said. Six sitting, six being combative, six playing a more of a low block and then allowing the front four to go and do their thing. And if that's the case... Van der Beek doesn't start and you play Bruno Fernandes. So I think the team picks itself in those scenarios when you're kind of looking to be strong through the core. And I think Manchester United will have one eye, obviously, on PSG, but they'll want to go and do the job against Southampton. And Southampton, very easily a team that could beat you. You know, it's a, they're a tough team and United could do that game, mess it up, and then the world collapses again and we're back onto Pochettino and we're back onto Ole out and we're back into everything is a complete disaster. And it won't be that, but if you lose a game, that's how it will be framed. 
So always is, Rob. Let's move on to some of the listener questions. I've got uh, two more here. So we've got uh, at Vincent Mellon. Thank you for your questions, guys, as always. And he's asking the question, Did, do you think that Tellez was out of position defensively but was brilliant going forward? Now, something I picked up very early. Let, let's talk about Tellez a little bit. So 11 crosses attempted. That was the most on the pitch yesterday. I don't really remember many crosses. Maybe that's including the corners. I don't know. So that probably yeah, isn't will corners. be set pieces. Will be. Yeah. And he, I think United look an extra threat definitely now at set pieces. We haven't done for a long time, but especially from corners, I think, you know, the balls that are coming in are of a high quality. Four chances created. That was the most on the pitch. And what I noticed very early on in that first half is that he played very high up the left flank. What you saw was Wan-Bissaka playing. It was more like the asymmetric, you know, sort of fullbacks that Jose Mourinho likes to play, for example, where one goes up, one drops as almost a third centre-back. And I thought that Fred dropped in the cover dropped in to cover his space, which I thought was a good little tactical tweak. But it didn't really work, did it? We didn't see the best of Tellez yesterday, although he's a, I think he's a fantastic player and he will add an extra dimension to Manchester United's attack. But I don't think that he really showed his attacking prowess yesterday. No, I think he had a decent game overall. But uh, as I've highlighted before, I think that there is a question to be asked of Tellez when you're playing him in what effectively is a flat back four. Yeah, so if you're playing him in that role, he has to defend. He has to sit back and come back and cover his centre-back. And we know Luke Shaw does that really well. So what does that do? It, it stops Luke Shaw maybe being the progressive fullback that we all want. But if you're playing in a four at the back, then, then you have to go and do that work. And I think yesterday what we saw was United started off for that first maybe 35, 40 minutes of, as you said, playing tellers really high up the pitch almost as a left-sided midfielder. It was, it was evident in the shape just from the TV pictures. You could see that he was almost on the halfway line and you were thinking, wow, this is good because that's what you want him to do. Um, but what that did obviously made Manchester United massively unbalanced because there was nothing coming on the right side. You know, Wan-Bissaka wasn't really getting up and down the pitch. We know that he's probably better defensively in his duties. So it was understandable that, as you said there, the Mourinho style of having a fullback that sits and tucks and you have three at the back and you let one go. That makes complete sense. But the issue, I think, there is that you need someone who'll work with tellers on that left-hand side, who'll do a bit more defensive work, but also come in and allow tellers to go on the outside. Now, we highlighted in our last show that Rashford's not great at that. Rashford maybe goes too wide to the byline and that hurts what Tellers can do and what Tellers is good at. And I think yesterday there was a little bit more kind of times in that first half where Martial was in the channel and that allowed Tellers to go on the outside and Tellers to get crosses in. But it didn't really work. United weren't hugely threatening in those scenarios. And I think what you saw was that when Tellers did get past the last man, there was always someone there to meet him. So he wasn't really getting great crosses in. And United, in the one opportunity, obviously, they did get was when Bruno Fernandes, you know, gobbles up the second ball and scores with the easiest goal that he'll score all season. That comes from Tellers being successful on that left-hand side, getting a ball into the box. And I think all Cavani did was make a kind of run across the line, you know, and that confuses the goalkeeper and the defender and United score a goal. But that's what happens in football. You know, you force these errors that would be unforced errors in, in a tennis match, as you'd call it. Um, did it work overall? Not for me. Certainly in the second half, I think Tellers had to sit a little bit more. And what fans have to realise is that in the second half, you're just more tired. You know, I talk about lactic acid a lot. It's it's harder to get past that last man because for an hour you've been running hard and yeah, you're fit, 
but it's difficult to then go and join the attack if your main job is to go and be a defender at that moment. And Manchester United were sitting deeper and deeper and deeper because effectively the, the the double pivot that we've talked a lot about today wasn't working and that was making the fullback sit even more deeper. So a good performance from Tellez, promising. I do think that when Luke Shaw is fit, that if you're playing that exact system, um, the temptation for Ole will be to play Luke Shaw because you maybe give up something on the front foot to make sure that on the back foot you're still solid. And then you tell Luke Shaw, yeah, I want you bursting forward, but at the correct times. Now, Tellers can do that job as a left fullback, but let's let's not, you know, let's not crunch the numbers too much. He is a left wing back. That's what he is. He's not a left back. And in the Premier League, you get exposed. I used the example of Alonso at Chelsea once. Um can get you assists, can get you goals. He's a wing back. But if you play him in a flat back four, he gets exposed. And I think that might be the case with Tellers as well. Um, he'd have to do a lot of educating himself to become the kind of player that you need in the Premier League at left back in a 4-2-3-1. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely one of those things where it's a small sample size. I can't really, I can't really judge it at the moment. He's played, what, three games for United. So it's something we have to see going forward. What I have been impressed with with Tellez, though, is that he does look to try and get on the outside. I know it was difficult last week against West Brom, but that is his first thought. He is he's more offensive. I think, right, I've got to get around you know, and put a cross in. And something, when I spoke to a Portuguese journalist about him before he joined, I did a bit of a player analysis, and he said one of the key things about Tellez was actually that one of his best attributes is when he's almost you know, on the halfway line and he plays one of those sort of crossfield ball for either the right winger to run onto or diagonals. the strike diagonals that's the word i don't know it was just you know it just eluded me that <laughs> that word but yeah he's he that's something that he's actually better at than crossing so that's something i want to see more i want to see whoever's playing up front or whoever's playing on that right wing to be making those runs because i think that's an extra it's almost when rashford did that after the uh restart with bruno i believe against bournemouth we played that fantastic diagonal ball so mm. that's something i'd like to see more of but on Tellez and Luke Shaw, there's been a lot of questions about Tellez and Luke Shaw. I just feel like, Rob, it's too much of a small sample size. He's played three games for United, and I think he's been good. I don't think he's been outstanding. A lot of people are saying, oh, we've got this incredible player. I think he can be a very good player. But I I'm not getting too high in it because I just haven't seen I haven't seen him be outstanding. I thought his best performance was against PSG, and he played as a left wing back. So I think going forward, that's probably where he's best at. You got anything to add to that? Yeah, he's a useful, again, a use. I keep using the chess analogy today, don't I? You know, he's a useful chess piece on the board. No doubt. You want these options. And one of Manchester United's weaknesses for a long, long time is switching the play. So going from left to right and right to left. The only time United do it really well is when Pogba is on the left side of midfield. Pogba comes in on his right foot and can switch the ball with a, a diamond pass into either Wan-Bissaka or whoever's on the right-hand side, whether it be Mata or whether it be Mason or, or Marcus Rashford. Um, that's a positive for Manchester United to have someone who can do that. And obviously we'd like to see that more, but it's also about making sure that, you know, if Tellers is getting that ball there on his left foot, if you've got Wan-Bissaka maybe saying sitting deeper because he has to be more disciplined in a four at the back, you're not actually going to have that pass on. So that switch ball is not happening because there's no right back pushing up there. So that's a problem, you see. And that's why when I say about Manchester United playing 4-2-3-1, if you're one of the forwards, you're not hugging the touchline on the opposite side. You know, you're not looking for that pass. You're not looking for that ball. Switch it to me and then I'm going to be one-on-one -on -one with my man. You're not looking for that. 
what Tellers is going to be valuable at is crossing the ball. So Tellers needs to overlap. And Tellers, I think, showed last night he has got a good engine. He can get backwards and forwards. But there will definitely be times in the Premier League where that gets exposed. Because if you if you push forward on one side, you will be lopsided. And teams will exploit that. And they'll say, right, the space is between Harry Maguire on that side, who is slow, and the fullback, who is now advanced. And what are we going to do? We are going to look at that space. We're going to get the ball there, play one-twos into that area, and then we're away. We're behind the defence. And Manchester United, if that happens, they really haven't got the pace to deal with it at the back, and that's a problem. There's no way Lindelof can come across and cover that. Two and Zabie might have the pace to do it, and that might be something that happens in the weeks and months to come. But there are still lots of questions for these tactics going forward. I know fans want the, the answer being just play attacking football. We all want that it doesn't always work. You've got to have balance. Balance is the most important thing. And it still might not be cured for another transfer window or two. You know, it might be that United need to recruit into the squad to have those options to be able to protect themselves. And then you might see Tellers play, play more. You might see Tellers become the starting left back over Luke Shaw. Um, but at the moment, it would be a big ask for him to do the same things that Luke Shaw does defensively. Yeah, exactly. And it comes back to that point, Rob, where we look at wan and... United need more from from going forward from I there. Like, right I just add, I just and, add to that as well. We just said from Wambasaka. I liked what Brandon did for 10 or 15, 20 minutes yeah, last night. Well, Brandon was good at getting forward. The thing is, Brandon just does not have the same defensive awareness or the same tackle that Wambasaka has. But he is progressive, and you can see he thinks progressively. However, if you're telling your right back to sit to allow Tellers to go, you're not playing Brandon Williams. So I think United eventually, if they want to play different systems, they will probably have to buy another fullback either in the next transfer window or next summer. Yeah, exactly. I actually quite liked what I saw from Brandon. I'm, I'm not the, the one who's highest on Brandon Williams, if I'm being honest with you. I didn't really like it left back. I, I felt like because he's right-footed, he liked to come in and our attacks would get uh, would stop at him. I didn't. I feel like he slowed down the attacks. I'm not a fan of these right-footed left-backs and left-footed right-backs. I'm a bit more traditional, like you know, left-footed left-back, right-footed right-back. But I actually liked him on the right and I've been asking the question on where, where is he obviously and I think he could be an option going forward if United do want to play a bit more expansive if you're playing Luke Shaw on that left back maybe you also want to play Brandon Williams on the right back and you tell Brandon Williams to get further forward so I think that could be an option going forward but Rob last question have you anything to add to that um, what I'll say is this if you've got two progressive fullbacks going forward yeah what are you saying to Lindelof and to Maguire yeah, it's just you're saying you've got no protection, you're not fast and you're dead and they're going to get done on a counter-attack over and over and over and over and over again. So it's it's never about one thing, it's always about five. Yeah, you've got yeah. to look at five different matters. And the problem is that if you say to your fullbacks, yeah, just bomb forward and raid, then you have to change the system. 4-2-3-1, you can't really play that. You know, you have to play a different way to be able to have players that can slot into the channels, both defensively and offensively, to make use of raiding fullbacks. Yeah, and it means that your centre-backs have to do something different. Now, if you've got Virgil van Dijk, it's good. You've got Virgil van Dijk, he's strong, he's quick, he's going to cover absolutely everything, and you're going to say to Trent Alexander-Arnold, go for it, boy. Get up there, get crosses in. You're going to say to uh, Andy Robertson, yep, go and get in there, get that cross in you know, be an effective a player in that part of the park. 
I don't think United are in that position at the moment. And I think that comes from several other positions rather than just fullback. But it would be nice to have that option at right back of someone who can maybe do both because United tend to have these role players, I think, who can do one or two things in their position and not seven and eight. And that is a, that's an issue. You need players who are multi-talented. You can do things both offensively and defensively. Yeah, exactly. I think if United were to do that, they'd have to revert to four three three, and they'd have to almost go Liverpool like and have more of a workman like midfield. You'd probably have, you probably could get away then with a Fred and McTominay with a with a Bruno if your fullback's sitting for. But then you also need to have quick centre backs, and that's why you'd probably have to either play Axel, or you go and get go and invest in a Upamecano who's quick and who's good one v one. Because if United get broken on, they're going to get absolutely torn to shreds with uh, with Maguire and Lindelof at at the centre-back position. But, Rob, final, final question. We'll move on. This is from at Ryan Jones 5304 So we've already covered... He's asked three questions. So we covered what do we think of Fred Bruno van der Beek. We did that earlier. Um, so we're going to talk about... It's not really tactical, but it's about Paul Pogba. So he's asking that... I don't know Pogba's attitude, etc. So speaking from just from the performances I've seen from him, should we sell him? And maybe bring in a Grealish. Now I'm just going to add on to the Paul Pogba attitude things. I just think it's so, it's just such a narrative. It's just nonsense. And I feel I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle always on Twitter when people automatically just talk about his attitude. I don't think he's shown anything to suggest he's got bad attitude on the pitch. We all know he trains hard. The only thing that I think people are bringing up um, this attitude problem with Paul Pogba is probably because of his comments, which I think yes, some of his comments have been just off you shouldn't be saying that when you go on international break but when he plays on when he plays on the pitch i don't think he's a player who doesn't put 100% in i don't think he's a player that doesn't work hard it's just his style it's a bit more languid isn't it it's a bit like berbatov when we had berbatov and we had tevez the fans loved tevez but berbatov was the better footballer but berbatov got a lot of stick and now he's appreciated as he's been he's gone but um there is a lot of talks about jack grealish would he be an option to replace Paul Pogba. I know this is a lot of ifs and buts, but it's a question that a lot of people have been asking. I'd just firstly like to thank our audience for getting in contact with us via Twitter and and having the interaction in the show. We we read all of your questions and we take them all into account and either read them out here on the podcast or um, at least make our question around what people are thinking and talking about. Uh, so let's talk about Paul Pogba to kind of close the show out. Paul Pogba you know, is Paul Pogba lazy? No, the stats prove he's not lazy. Is Paul Pogba um, shown his best at Manchester United over the period since he signed from Juventus? I think we can also say no to that. You know, I think there's, he has been underwhelming at times, but I think a lot of the flack that Paul Pogba gets, and when we talk about the structure of Manchester United and the midfield and what Ole needs to do, a lot of it is nonsensical. So if you sold Paul Pogba tomorrow... And we're talking about double pivots in this episode and defensive work and being able to pass the ball out. And we're replacing him with Jack Grealish. So Jack Grealish, best position without a shadow of a doubt, is a left side of attack. That yeah. is his best position. So if United were to play 4-2-3-1, he would play where Martial played last night. Now, who do I think is better coming in on his right foot in that position, Martial or Jack Grealish? Well, for me, it would be... Martial, but Jack Grealish will give you other things in terms of creativity in and around the box and come in narrow. Jack Grealish could play as a central midfielder for Manchester United. There's no doubt about it. But if you're looking at it in terms of the structure of the team, we would have the same issue maybe that we had with Donny van der Beek in the last few weeks. And that is where do you fit him in 
to rejiggle your side around. If you sold Paul Pogba and bought Jack Grealish, you're not solving anything at all. You're creating another problem, a good problem to have, but also a problem that you probably don't need to address as it stands. You know, if you were to sell Paul Pogba and go and buy Kante from Chelsea, that makes sense. Why? Because Kante will play in the double pivot. Kante fills that gap. And then the creative players at United have already got, then you can look at your transfer market and say, right, now I'm going to go and buy Jack Grealish, potentially, to go in there. Or you're going to say, which would be a kind of more cost-effective way of looking at it, I'm going to play Donny van der Beek as a number 10. So you can do those things, but only with the correct signings and sales. And as it stands, selling Paul Pogba for, you'd probably still get, I think, 70 to 80 to 90 million comfortably for him. Yeah. You know, in this this current COVID climate. Absolutely, absolutely. Do, do, do you know what? In basketball, in basketball, and I use this, this as a comparison, Gordon Hayward, who had an expired contract, who is a, a, a former All-Star, Charlotte Hornets, and people going, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Teams will still pay the money if they think the player gives them some kind of risk and reward back. Paul Pogba is a superstar and sells shirts like no other player on the planet. If you put him in a Real Madrid shirt or a Barcelona shirt or even back in a Juventus shirt, cha-ching, yeah? The value is still there. You can question what he does on a football pitch or whether you like his style or not. That's okay, you know? But this is a guy who has won a World Cup and this is a guy that has won trophies throughout his, his career and still, I think, has a much bigger reputation on the continent than he does in the Premier League, where he's derided in this country, I think, for several reasons that we won't go directly into here or we'll be here for another hour. Um, I think that Paul Pogba has still a future at the club. I don't think Jack Grealish would be the natural replacement if you sold him. Um, but there is a, a logic to say that if Paul Pogba is not a starter at Man United, and that is a question now I say it's valid, then you would sell him and you'd get a feedback that means you could go and invest. Uh, I don't think COVID would affect the value of someone like Paul Pogba or the availability of funds for someone like Paul Pogba. You might not get the 120 million that you might have once thought you'd get for him, you know, or 150 million or going into the crazy figures. But I think you'd certainly recoup virtually most of the money that you, you spent out on him. Um, and I think still think he'll be stay at United and sign a new contract. That's my thoughts on it. I think that I still think there's a, a future for him once he's fit. He's not been fit at the moment. He had a knock coming off those uh, French guys. You said there about the comments, and I think we should address that very, very quickly in the sense that the comments that he made were totally innocent. When you read them back and you look at the French translations, it's all garbage. He didn't say anything about Man United. All he says when they're translated correctly and the French journalists that actually interviewed him went back online and said, look, I need to correct these because people are, are saying them in the wrong way. He said he said nothing about Manchester United. He said his own form hasn't been good. He doesn't know why his own form hasn't been good and he needs to play better for Manchester United. And that's all he really said. And after that, he said he enjoys being with France and his French teammates. That was then copy and pasted. They took the bits of the quote they wanted to and turned it into one tweet and that went viral around the world. I won't mention the guy who did that. He's a very well-known journalist. We all know who it is. So that was done and that was unfair to Paul Pogba. I think his attitude's fine. He trains well. When you hear from the United people about Paul Pogba, they never say anything negative about him behind the scenes. It's always really positive about what a bright lad he is, how what a positive uh, boy he is in the dressing room, how he brings people together. 
and you hear that in the France dressing room all the time, and you hear it in the United one, but it's not highlight highlighted at Man United. And why is that? I don't know. I think there are reasons, but again, that's an hour-long program. And that will be a masterclass that we will do, Rob. And I completely agree with you. I think we sit in the same the same sort of headspace when it comes to Paul Pogba. I just think that he knows he's going through a difficult time in his career. And of course, he's not happy that he's not playing regularly, that he's sitting on the bench, that he's not playing well. So I don't see the problem. Look, for me, United are better side of Paul Pogba. I, I saw some statistics the other day that when Pogba and Bruno played together, we average almost two goals per game. We concede about... I think it's just under a goal a game, which is a little bit worse than when we play one or the other. So we do concede less when one, of, if it's Bruno or Pogba playing. But United score more goals, and their points is their points average per game is higher as well. So it's in United's interest and benefit to get Pogba back into the side. The challenge, wanna... yeah. yeah, that's the challenge. The challenge is Ole has to find solutions. That's what I always say about every manager, whoever they are. You've got to find solutions to get your players in the team. That's why when we talk about formations. Formation should be fluid. You know, it's about players matching what a formation can do. It's not a formation ma always matching what the player can do. It's You've got to have balance. And United have to find a way to incorporate Paul Pogba. I tell you what, if Paul Pogba was at other football clubs, they would find ways of getting him in, the, in their team. You know, he wouldn't be sat on the bench. And I don't think it is that Paul Pogba's form is why he's not in the team at the moment. There are issues. He has had knocks. He came back from France with that knock. He has trained and they're trying to get him through that hump in the road to get him back in the team. But I also think we played him too early when he did have that injury and that hurt him again. And uh, look, drop him out. Let the other boys go and do the work. Yeah, you've got players in your team that can do the work. Find solutions from within. It doesn't always have to be Paul Pogba or nothing. Yeah, let's find ways to actually beat football teams that are not just Paul Pogba-centric. But I do think that Pogba, in your best team, starts. It's just how do you shape that around him? I like Jack Grealish, um, but I can see why they didn't buy Jack Grealish. He had a horrible end to last season. He really had a horrible... Look at his stats. They are... They stink. At the end to that last season, he was not good. And he scored right at the end of the season, and that was good. And he started this year. Well, he's done, done really well. Villa have looked good on the front foot. But he's not perfect. It's absolutely nowhere near perfect. And his weaknesses would be exposed at Manchester United with the way that the shape of the team is. Yeah, absolutely. And we're probably going to end there, Rob. To all the listeners, thank you so much for all your great questions. Thank you for all your support because it's been it's been really amazing. It's been really humbling as well. You know, your engagement is the reason why we love doing this show. And uh, we'll be hopefully doing another live show soon. Possibly, Rob, maybe on the Sunday after the Southampton game. That could be an option. Potentially, um, I think that'd be quite good. Uh, Rob, thank you very much for joining me as usual today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Ada. And to all listeners, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. We're edging a little bit closer to that 1K, so it'd be really great if you guys could help us get there so we can get this podcast out to more people. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.